Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back. It is Tuesday, January the 3rd, 2023, 7 a.m. here in Spotswood. And again, if it's uh, if that red sky at morning thing is any uh, has anything to it, and I think it does, it may be an interesting weather day for us. Beautiful, beautiful out over the Blue Ridge over here. I'd show you, but the lights are reflecting off of the window and you wouldn't see anything. But spectacular out there right now. What a blessing it is to be with y'all this morning. And it's a special day here in uh, Casa de Malfry, um, the Malfry's house, because it is mine and Amanda's 19th anniversary. That's right. Our anniversary is 19 this year. What a blessing. Um, I joked about going to the new French restaurant in Stanton, um, Chez Waffle, you know, Waffle House. We won't be doing that. But nevertheless, it is such a blessing to uh, to be given um, such a wonderful helpmate. And if you know Amanda, you know. So anyway, um, happy anniversary, dear. Now, um, let's get to it this morning. Where we're at is we're picking up where we left off yesterday in John chapter 17. What we got through, now remember, John 17 is Jesus's high priestly prayer, right? You may have a different heading. In fact, my Bible has over John 17, it just says Jesus prays for himself. Then over verse six, it says Jesus prays for his disciples. But y'all, all of this is encompassed in Jesus's high priestly prayer. That's what this passage has become known as. Um, and as I said yesterday, and even before, as we led into to John chapter 17, an extremely important chapter in God's word. And I know every chapter is important. I'm not saying this is more biblical than others, but we learn so much about who Jesus is. And by the way, you can learn a lot about somebody through what they pray for, right? Um, we don't really get a glimpse into other people's prayer lives. Not really. Maybe, you know, Sometimes that happens, but here we see Jesus on display in his prayer, but also we need to be careful because there are some things that he prays for that very much apply to every Christian everywhere across all time and so forth. And then again, there are some things that Jesus prays for that relate to himself. Right. Very clearly um, where we were the, the day before we took our Christmas break. Jesus is asking for the glory that he had before he came to earth, to earth. Right. I mean, that's a perfect Christmas focus um, in this section that we are in right now. Jesus is praying for his disciples right then, right there in time and space. However, there are some very important things for us to learn. Like yesterday, for instance, we talked about how Jesus, as he prayed to God, he talked about the fact that God had given him those who had followed him, that God took them out of the world, that they gave them to him, and that they believed and obeyed his word, right? You know, Jesus really lays down the gauntlet, and, and I'm going to be preaching about this this coming Sunday as well. But y'all, Christianity is not some feeling that you have. It's, it's not some strong like or preference. If, if you're going to follow Jesus, you got to do what he says. That's just, and no, I don't mean you, that you work your way to heaven or anything like that. That's not what this is about. It's about if you've been transformed, right? If you have been changed, if you have a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone, if you are truly following Jesus, you're going to be doing the things that Jesus did. It's that old follow the leader game, right? We've talked about this. If you're going to follow the leader, you do what the leader does. And naturally, we are all like that, you know. Every single one of us, that's part of the power of peer pressure. 
you know, um, we are going to follow the lead uh, of what we place in front of us. And if Jesus is in front of you, and if you're following Jesus, you're, you're going to do the, the things that, that Jesus did. It's, that's just how this works, right? So we saw that yesterday, powerful truth that applies to us. And again, today, we come to another powerful truth. We made it through verse 10. So where we're picking up is verse 11 in John 17. But before we pray, or before we pick in, let's pray, because we need help with this. Our Father, please guide us in this time. Help us to understand your word. Oh, what a glorious thing it is. What a joyous thing it is that we don't have to just figure things out on our own. Instead, you've given us your word. You have given us your Holy Spirit. Um, and Father, we pray that we would live in light of what we find here. We thank you for Jesus, who is our perfect high priest, who is our perfect prophet, who is our perfect king. But now, as we focus on his prayer, let us remember the timing of this. It's just before his arrest and subsequent crucifixion and resurrection. And Father, help us to pay attention here. Help us to learn and help us to live in light of what we learn. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so yesterday we finished with verse 10 where Jesus said, All I have is yours. And remember, this is a prayer. So when Jesus is saying you or yours, he's talking about God. Okay, so Jesus, God the Son, is praying to God the Father. And Jesus prayed, All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. All right. Now, verse 11 is where we're picking up. Jesus continues his prayer by saying, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Pause for just a second. Who is the them and the they? He's talking about his disciples. He's talking about those who have been with him and have followed him, right? Oh, with the exception of one, which is Judas Iscariot. He's the son of perdition. That's a different subject. Nevertheless, he's talking about his disciples. And so with his disciples in mind, Jesus prays, continuing there in verse 11, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Now, pause right there for just a second. Y'all, as I said yesterday, as I've been saying throughout this entire study in the book of John, the gospel according to John, one of the central themes of everything that John is writing here, and if you're going to understand the gospel according to John, you've got to understand this. One of the primary concerns for John and what he's recording is, remember, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke share a lot of the same material. That's why they're called the synoptic gospels. John is different. It's not a corrective gospel. He's not trying to fix what Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote. But instead, with every writer, you see them including certain things for certain reasons. And if you're going to understand John, you've got to understand that John is continually pointing out the identity of Christ. He is continually returning to this idea that Jesus is not just a man, right? That Jesus is not just a prophet, that Jesus is not just some political deliverer like a, a future king or anything like, no, uh-uh. 
John wants to make it abundantly clear, and he does it again and again and again. And forget about John, because these are Jesus's words. Jesus wants to make it abundantly clear who he is. And who he is is God the Son. He is God in the flesh, made his dwelling among us. That is who Jesus is. That's why you see Jesus saying this right here in verse 11. Again, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Now we're going to get to the unity aspect of this. But do you see how Jesus draws no line of distinction between the mighty name of God and his name? Jesus, God the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit are in perfect union. Um, there is an economy, a function to how God works in the Trinity. Jesus is yet again exposing that here, and he draws no line of distinction between the power of his name and the power of God's name. And doesn't that make sense? If you fast forward to Philippians 2, what are we told? We're told that a day is coming very soon when what? When every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's the name of Christ that at that name, every knee should bow. I left that part out. Remember. It doesn't just say that there's going to be a time where people are going to, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Jesus draws no line of distinction between his name and God's name there, right? Now, he talks about why God has given this name to protect his disciples. And the first reason for, for, for giving this name is not even protection. The first reason for giving this name, for giving the power of his name to his disciples, is so that they would be united together. Y'all, sometimes we can pick out themes from God's word, right? Um, and it's it's natural inclination. Certain pastors talk about certain things. As you read, there are things that will jump out to you that might not necessarily jump out to other people. And I don't mean that they're wrong. I just mean that we each have our own focus. We, we each emphasize things. But what none of us can miss, and this is the first hint of it in Jesus's high priestly prayer, but what we can't miss is Jesus's desire for unity. Yes, there's power in the name for protection, but the purpose of Jesus giving his disciples his name, of God giving Jesus' disciples the name of God, the purpose by extension that we are called as God's people, that we are given the power of God's name, is so that we would be united together underneath it. To that end, Jesus continues in verse 12. He says, while I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. All right. Yet again, Jesus is alluding not only to physical safety. He is alluding to unity here. Yes, he brings up Judas Iscariot. 
right? That's that's the the one that is bound for destruction. In other passages, he's called the son of perdition, right? It would be so the scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus revealed what's going on with Judas. Y'all, that's this applies in time and space to Judas. Okay. You and I can't look at somebody and say, oh, well, they're a lost cause because they're the one doomed to destruction. It's right there in John 17, 12. No, that's not how this works. Jesus is talking about Judas. But when you back up from number from, from verse 12 there, when he talks about Judas, um, what you find is yet again, while I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost. Now, the question is, what is this name, right? And don't get hung up on this, okay? Because people have done all sorts of interesting things with this name. Some have turned it into some mystical pursuit that you've got to find this specific name. And if you find this specific name, then you can evoke its power in your life. And Don't listen to that, y'all. Jesus is speaking in broad terms, <clears throat> excuse me, Again, about his name and about God's name, but he's citing the power, not just of being able to utter the name, but the power of belonging to God. That's all he's talking about here. That's why the commandment, do not take the Lord's name in vain, is not just about cussing. That taking the Lord's name in vain is claiming to belong to the Lord, evoking the name of God, when in reality, you don't know him. Taking the Lord's name in vain is appealing to God for selfish reasons, right? It's misusing God's name. And there is power in the name of God. That's why this is such a serious thing. And no, the point is not to find the particular name, right? Realize that God's word, all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, you see all different examples of the name of God being cited for its power. Take, for instance, Okay. Proverbs 18.10. It says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Now, author of Proverbs doesn't go on at that point to, to try to, to tell you, okay, and this is how you pronounce it, or this is that particular name, or anything like that, y'all. That, that's not the point here. The point instead is to evoke the name of God, saying you belong to God. And there's power in this. That's Proverbs 18.10. Take, for instance, Proverbs, or excuse me, Psalm 27, where the author says, and it's a Psalm of David, but David wrote, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses. Again, this is Psalm 2010, or excuse me, 27. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Now, it's just as broad in Proverbs 18.10. It's just as broad in Proverbs 27. It's just as broad in John 17.12. The idea is not some magical, mystical thing with God's name. The idea here is that it is of the utmost importance that you belong to God. That's why Jesus talks here about while I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. Elsewhere, he has said, I'll have all those that the Father gives me. We've talked about this before. God is responsible for every aspect of your salvation and my salvation. And there is nothing more important than belonging to him. 
Judas is the, <laughs> you might say, well, how does that fit in with Judas? Y'all, again, this is about prophecy being fulfilled. And also remember, and we're not going to dig into this today. If you have any questions about it, let me know. Judas wasn't made to do anything. Judas did exactly what Judas wanted to do. So it wasn't as if he was some puppet for God or anything like that. He wanted to destroy Jesus from the beginning. And he thought that he did. But we, of course, know the truth that Jesus Christ was arrested after Judas's betrayal. Um, he was falsely convicted. He was crucified, but he rose again from the dead. And as Jesus alluded to here, um, he says again in verse 13, I'm coming to you now. Jesus would ascend back into heaven. Um, you know, we need to keep things straight as we consider Jesus and his work. We need to keep at the forefront of our thought and our vision what Jesus came to do, why he came to do it. And remember that there are no accidents in Jesus's life. Verse 13, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may, <clears throat> excuse me, so that they may have the full assurance of my joy within them. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. And this is what's important. All of that, we don't have to dig into that. Jesus makes it very clear. The reason the world hates his disciples is because they don't belong to the world. They belong to him. It's getting back to that idea of being under the name of God, belonging to God, right? But what Jesus says next is of crucial importance of keeping, again, what he came to do, his mission, keeping all of that at the forefront of our mind. Because what Jesus came to do is what we are called to carry on to a certain extent. I don't mean that we're called to lay down, you know, our lives as, as the propitiation for sin. You know, he is the sacrifice. We are not, okay? We may have to lay down our lives for certain reasons, but, you know, we will never serve as the sacrifice for anybody else's sin. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is it's back to this business of following Jesus. We're called to do the things that Jesus did in the world around us. And to that end, Jesus prays in verse 15, and he lays it out very clearly. He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Y'all, a mission is revealed here for God's people. Um, for his disciples, certainly. But for you and me today, is he praying for his disciples in time and space? Absolutely. Does this apply to you and me? You better believe it. A mission is revealed. A mindset is given. A goal, a purpose, a vision is set forth. And what is it? Is it that we retreat from the world? Being convinced that, oh, everything's falling apart, no point in going on, we'll just let everything go to Hades in a handbasket, and we're just going to do our own thing? No, no. Jesus is very clear here. His desire is not that his people be taken out of this world. His desire instead is that we would be protected while we were in this world. And what's implicit here is that we would be about his business. I say that because he continues by saying in verse 16, by praying, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, 
I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may truly be sanctified. Now this is the concept that we're picking up tomorrow. That word sanctification is a 10 cent word, right? It's a big word. Um, it means living under Christ and dying under yourself. We'll talk about that tomorrow. But today as we end, right? And we're 20 minutes in, we need to end. Today as we are in, evaluate your life. Ask yourself the tough question. Jesus has revealed a mission. Are you on a mission? I'm going to go ahead and tell you, yes, you are. And yes, I am. The question is not if we're on a mission. We're always on a mission. The question is, what mission are we on? Most of the world is on a mission for self-gratification. It wants to do what will bring it pleasure. It wants to do what will bring it security. The focus is self. However, we are called to something greater. Of the many privileges of Christianity, we have forgiveness of sins. We have the promise of eternal life. All of these things are marvelous. But y'all, right here, right now, you have the privilege and the promise that you can be a part of God's redemptive plan that God has allowed you to be part of this wonderful thing he is doing. But are you on that mission? If you don't know, examine what you do and why you do it. And this is a hard one, y'all, because I'm, I have to do the same thing as you guys. This is not me preaching at you. It, 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 it's me first. We have to evaluate why we do what we do, the motive of what we do, what we are called to do, it's what his disciples were called to do. Follow Jesus. Do the things Jesus did. Love people. Forgive people. Proclaim the greatness of God. Now, this is what we'll pick up with tomorrow. Let's close right now in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the sanctifying work of your Holy Spirit in our lives, where you make us less like us and more like you. Oh, Father, that you would help us see. Help us to have a vision so much greater than our own. Help us to be in tune to your Holy Spirit and sensitive to your calling. Help us to live lives of gratitude in light of this wonderful adventure that you've let us be a part of. An adventure that isn't just based in this life, but is based in eternity. Thank you for Jesus Christ. As he prayed these things again, he was just a, a little while away from such horrible, horrible circumstances. And yet his focus was on his disciples and his focus was on us. Help us to live, again, a life of gratitude. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. I see Christine. Good morning. And then there's Alice and Linda. Thank you so much. And then there's Becky. Thank you. And Wayne. Good morning. And there's um, Elizabeth. Thank you very much. And Rose. My goodness, lots of comments today. And then there's the other Becky. Hey, Merle's Inlet down in South Carolina. Um, go to Sarah J's for me. I don't even know if that place exists anymore, but it used to be really good. And then there is Terry. Terry, we are praying for you and your husband. Thank you for being here. And then there's Sue and Roberta. Thank you so much. What, what a blessing and what an encouragement. Now, again, thank you all for being here. Again, Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock. Until then, I hope you have a wonderful Tuesday.